And so this morning, I want to ask you to stand in honor of God's word as I just read three verses, 8, 9, and 10, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. It says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. This is the word of the living God. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for the privilege once again of coming and opening up our personal copy of your word, your holy, inspired, infallible word. And Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit that it would grant us the ability um, to understand. Grant us the ability to be teachable be able to be ready to receive what you have for us this morning. We thank you um, that your love is so vast. We can't even begin to scrape the surface of it, and we praise you for that, as we've just got done singing about. And we know that it's through the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers that your word says that the love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to understand that when everything else collapses, when everything else falls apart, there is God's love. I pray that we would see what's really important in our lives today. Pray, thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts. We ask this in the name which is above every name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Now we're going to be looking just at three verses here today, but we're talking about it's in there in your outline. God's, God's amazing love is exalted. It's exalted. God's love is exalted above every other Christian blessing and grace. And we want to understand basically um, what this means. What does it mean that God's love is exalted? And we're not going to um, even probably get through our outline today, okay? Because before we understand why God's love is exalted, we have to understand some things that are not exalted. And so the first reason there that we talk about as far as God's love being exalted in verse 8, it says right at the beginning there, what's it say? Love, what's it say? Never ends. Never ends. We have King James, faileth not. It never ends. It's important that The first reason why God's love is exalted above everything else is because it endures. It endures. And that's what he says there. It's a compound word. The word love uh, never ends there. It's actually a a double negative. Um, It's a word of time, but it's also a word of never. Something dealing with time and something that's never going to happen. The point is really is never at any time, at all, ever, will God's love fail to accomplish what he wants it to accomplish. It's impossible. Now, that should be encouraging for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know Christ, you have the love of Christ shed abroad in your heart. And guess what? That love will continue to work in your life. It will never fail to accomplish or achieve God's purpose. In whatever circumstance you find yourself, or whatever person you're talking about, you're dealing with whatever, 
It doesn't matter. In other words, maybe you're struggling in a relationship. Maybe you're not getting along with somebody or maybe dealing with a job or dealing with whatever. The, the thing that we need more than anything to get us through those times not our own wisdom, not advice from the secular world. It is the love of God. Um, there's no excuse for not healing that broken relationship because God's love can do that. And that's a very important principle to understand. The problem always lies not with God's love, but with our lack of God's love. Or I should say our lack of using <laughs> of tapping into God's love. He already gave us the love of Christ. We can't get any more love than that, can we? Sometimes people pray, God, just give me more love. He's not going to do it. He gave you all the love he has. Not going to happen. But maybe you need to pray, God, help me to use, help me to utilize the love that you've made available to me. Because that's really where the rubber meets the road, is it not? I mean... And so we need to understand that God's love will endure. And that's the reason he gives here. But I think to understand that, how important it is to understand that God's love endures, I think it's important to understand, first of all, what does not endure. What does not endure. Now, this is kind of bad news. But sometimes we, don't, we can't grasp the good news unless we hear the bad news, right? So let's go through this outline together. You have it there. And so we want to remember what does not endure. What does not endure? Well, your personal possessions, your worldly possessions, your stuff, whatever it might be, money, possessions, all the stuff you have in your house, your car, your furniture, bank account, stocks, whatever. They're not going to endure. One day they're going to be gone. We don't like to think of that. Especially if you're a person who's worked hard and, boy, you have a good stock of these things. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having these things. I like what Chuck Swindoll says. There's nothing wrong with having material possessions. But it's when the material possessions have you. (laughs) That's when you're in trouble. And if we can't hold on to these things knowing that, you know what, yeah, I worked hard for all this, but God gave me the grace to get it. It's from his hand, and it belongs to him, and he's just loaning it to me. And that, by the way, even carries over to our children. I know as a youth pastor, a former youth pastor, there are some parents that will not leave go of their kids. <laughs> you know, and they almost ruin their kids' lives as a result because they're unwilling to trust God for the protection and for the, the life of their own children. And so they're constantly meddling, constantly, constantly, constantly. And rather than drive the children closer, what does it do? It pushes them away. It's not malicious. I mean, think they're doing the right thing, the parents. But we have to realize that even our children, even our families, our our spouse, it's something that God gave us on loan. And and we're, we're not called to hoard it. We're not called to hold it with a closed fist, but we're to be called stewards, right? We're called stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So we need to be remember that all this stuff will not endure. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, it says, basically, you brought nothing into this world, and guess what? You're not going to take anything out. 
I never saw a funeral with a U-Haul trailer. I just never saw one. Now, I've seen funerals where, you know, people will bury their loved one with a, sometimes some pretty personally expensive items. I never understood that. I thought, what are you doing? I mean, you can, you can take that and sell it. Use it for the Lord's glory. You're just going to bury it? Uh, it's just kind of interesting. But, you know, I get it. The sentiment, I understand that. But we need to be reminded that none of this stuff is going to endure. All that stuff will pass away. Look, look over at Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. Because so I think it's important that, that we see this principle in Scripture. One of the most important principles in Scriptures in the Bible is that we are called to use what God has entrusted to us, right, to be a blessing to people. We don't think that way a lot of times. And the reason is because eventually the stuff's not going to be there. And when it runs out, you don't have that ability to help people. And when you look at verse 9 of chapter 16 of Luke, it says, Jesus is speaking here. He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Now, a lot of people get stumble over that word unrighteous. It doesn't mean sinful in the context, okay? It doesn't, money cannot be sinful. Do you understand that? Everybody thinks, oh, money, you know, is sinful. No. What does Bible say is sinful? The love of money. Money is just an inanimate object. It's a means to an end. Now, it can be used in a sinful way for sinful practices, but money itself has, it, it has no righteousness in it. It's only a thing. And what's he saying here? He's saying you can make friends by using your, your means, your, your wealth, your money. Even though it's not righteous or unrighteous, you can use it depending on how it is, to bless people. And then it goes on there. It says, so, so that when it, what's the it? Money. When money fails, in other words, you don't have any more, they, who are the they? The people that you blessed your money with may receive you into eternal dwellings. Isn't that a neat verse? What's that saying? That's saying, to put it kind of in the words of today, they're going to be thrilled to see you if you help them when you get to heaven. Because you're generous. You help people. Um, and so what's God saying here? It's an interesting point. He's saying, you know what? Use your wealth while you have it. Because it's not going to be there forever. It's going to be gone. And that's why I thought, I was thinking, you know, I was talking to Ken and Sam and some, some other men in our church about our, our missions emergency fund. I mean, at one point it was up to like 24000 and I'm like, okay, what, why, why is this money in there? I'm sure some missionaries around the world could use it. So we started thinking. We started asking. So there's a hurricane in Honduras. And so we sent $5,000 down there. And other individuals needed some funds. And so we started distributing the funds. Now, it's, there's nothing wrong with saying, well, we don't want to deplete the whole thing in case there is a real emergency. But I started thinking, what a shame it would be we have $24,000 in our missions emergency fund, and if the rapture happened, we're, <laughs> it'd be all for naught. <laughs> I was talking to one pastor last week, and he was talking about 
some individuals in his church, and they said, well, we have to have a plan in case the rapture happens. And I thought, who cares? <laughs> right? Well, what about the church and the property? You have to have like a, a disillusionment or something. I don't know what he was talking about. And I thought, well, if, you're a, if, if you think you're a Christian and you're left after the, the rapture, you've got a problem that's far greater than material resources, but that's beside the point. But I started thinking about it, and I thought, actually, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea, but, I mean, something's going to happen, right, after the rapture. I mean, this property will still be here. I wonder how long it'll be before people figure out, whoa, whoa, what happened? There's nobody there at the church. That's our prayer, that there'll be nobody here at the church. If you show up on a Sunday after the rapture, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, you might want to crack open the book and, and begin to study some more. But I think it's just so interesting that we can use this for people's blessing. God says, well, you have it, use it. That doesn't mean deplete it. It doesn't mean, you know, be an unfaithful steward. You know, sorry, honey, I gave, gave the missionary $5,000. We have no money to pay the rent or buy groceries. That would not be right. That would be stupid. So you don't want to do that. But if God has given you resources to share, then what he's saying is you do that. Because he says, basically, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things that he possesses. That's what, that's what Jesus is trying to get across here. He's saying, you know what? It's not all about what, you, what car you got parked in the garage or what house you live in and what district and how much your salary is. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and, and 19, it says, As for this... For the rich of this present age charge them not to be haughty, nor to, look, set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We've all seen the craziness with the stock market, right? I mean, I mean, it's just nuts. You don't know what to think. That's why you don't set your hopes on that kind of thing. Don't trust in the uncertainty of riches is what Jesus is saying. Learn to give. Learn to be generous. Learn to communicate. Learn to share. Help people in every way possible. Because one day, guess what? It's not going to be there. I think sad is the person who trusts in all their material wealth and wakes up one day and is actually stingy with it and they wake up one day and they realize, well, they don't have any more. So now even if they wanted to share, they couldn't share it because it's gone. And guess what? The friends are gone too. (laughs) That's usually how that works. It's going to fail. But something else is going to fail, the Bible tells us. Psalm 31.10, your strength is going to fail. This is, like I said, this is not real encouraging news. Um, you know how when you're sick and you don't feel good, you know, maybe you, maybe you got COVID, maybe you got the flu, maybe you just got a little cold, but you're sick. and you, What happens? This, your strength is, is just sapped out of you. And, you know, maybe instead of working eight hours a day, you work six because you're just too tired. You're, you're, you're weak. You don't feel strong. Now, each day, hopefully, as you get over with virus or whatever you have, that you're feeling a little stronger. And that's kind of what we say, right? Well, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm getting a little stronger. I don't want to discourage you here this morning, but that's not going to last. Your body will become weaker and weaker and weaker the older you get. And nothing you do is going to prevent it. Absolutely nothing. Now, it's all subjective to individuals. I get that. But Psalm 
Psalm 31.10 says, For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I mean, do you wake up in the morning, get out of bed, and like, oh, I've never felt that before. Well, what is that? You know, we, we're all going there. Psalm 38.10 says, My heart throbs, but my strength fails me. In the light of my eyes, it has gone from me. Everything is going downhill. Psalm 71.9 says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. That's a subjective phrase, isn't it? I mean, if I ask right now, how many of you are, are old? You know, probably not. I mean, most people will go, yeah, that's me. You know, we don't like to think ourselves as being old. And yet, in reality, every day, every second, every minute, we're not growing younger. I mean, you can put all the paint on your face you want. Do all the exercising you want. Color your hair till the cows come home. Eventually, it's going to catch up with you. He says, forsake me not at the end of that when my strength is spent. Wow. There's going to come a day when you're not going to have any more strength at all to do. To do anything. Well, not just your stuff and your strength, but also your body. <laughs> this kind of relates to, our, relates to our strength. But Psalm 109, it says 110. It should be 109, I think, there in the, in the outline. There is no 24 and 110. So it's 109, verse 24. It says, my knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt. Some of you are waiting for this day, I know I am, with no fat. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, have you ever had someone go and uh, maybe they, they got a sickness? Maybe they had a little weight issue here or there, whatever, and they, they get sick and you see them months later and it's like, whoa, what happened to you? You know, oh, I was in the hospital for six weeks and I lost, you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds, whatever. That's not the way you want to lose the weight, I wouldn't think. You know, I, I just, it's just, but that's what it says is going to happen. Eventually you will end up with a gaunt body with no fat, with weak knees. And you won't even want to eat. And if you've ever been around an elderly person who has lived a full life, but they're at the end of their life, guess what? That, that definitely describes them. I remember Al Swanson and Merlin, and I'd go over there to, to eat dinner once in a while. She'd make us dinner, and we'd sit there and talk, and she'd always be getting on out. Al, you need to eat. I'm not hungry. You need to eat. You know, and his body just got thinner and thinner and thinner. That's what's going to happen. I mean, I, it's kind of a positive thing if you look at it, if you want to turn it around and make it. One day you're not going to have to diet. You know, you can eat whatever you want, and you're, you're not going to be fat. That's, that's a wonderful thing, a wonderful truth. But not only just our body, it says our heart, Psalm 40, verse 12, is going to fade away. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, the psalmist writes, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. And then at the end, he says what? My heart fails me. My heart fails me. That organ within your body that continues to pump your blood, life-giving blood, through your veins. 
I mean, isn't the body just incredibly miraculous how God created it? You have this organ that starts pumping before birth, and it just keeps cranking along. And you don't think about it. You don't have to start it up in the morning. You don't have to warm it up. Nothing. It just keeps going. Now, granted, sometimes you have issues with it. (laughs) But the idea here is that, you know what? Eventually, all of our hearts, pending the Lord's return, they're going to stop beating. They're going to give up. Whether that's through an accident, whether that's through natural death, whether that's through whatever, eventually your heart will stop pumping blood through your veins. We don't like to think of that, but that's what it says. Your heart will fail. Psalm 73, verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. I love this, but God is the strength of my heart, right? And my portion for, forever. We don't, we don't put our faith and how healthy our heart is. Now, hopefully we eat the right things and do the right exercise and do all that. But you know what? Even with that, I mean, I've known people who, you know, they eat tofu and, and do all kinds of healthy things, run five miles a day and then ride their bicycle and then go for a swim in the ocean. And, and then, you know, they're, they're 35 years old and they drop dead of a heart attack. Go figure. See, you can't put all of your faith in your means to keep yourself healthy, be healthy because of the simple fact that the Bible says it is appointed, what? Unto men to die. We all have an appointment with death. That's just a very real truth. Now, I don't think we should be morbid and constantly think about it, but I think we need to be prepared for it. We need to know that when that day comes, I don't want to be, you know, as the car's driving over the cliff or something, going, oh, Lord, save me. You know, I want to be living for him. I want to trust him now while he's giving me the information. And if you're here this morning and you, you have yet to put your faith, your heart, your, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone for salvation, I, I beg you to do that. You're hearing words of truth. You're not hearing my words. You're hearing words from God's word. And what that means is it's true. And Jesus said very clearly, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He didn't say, well, you know, as long as you're a church member, you get baptized, or you pray this prayer, or you give so much to the missionaries, or you do this, or you do that. Didn't say that. He said, if you confess with your, your mouth, believe in your heart that the Lord Jesus has risen from the dead, he'll save you. He will save you. So our stuff, our strength, our body, our heart... Some of us know what this is like, Psalm 69.3. I am weary with my crying out, my throat is parched. And then it says, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Your eyes are going to most likely grow dim. Many of you have glasses on. There's a reason why. Because without them, you see dimly. (laughs) You can't read the written words on the page. What else is interesting, those of us who are married may not like to hear this, but guess what else is going to not endure? What else is going to fail? Your marriage is going to fail. Your marriage one day will be no more. Now, hopefully not here on this earth (laughs) because we believe in the sanctity of marriage. But look at what it says there in, in Jesus makes this comment in Matthew 22, verse 30. He says, for in the resurrection, remember they were trying to catch him in a (laughs) uh, 
problem. He said, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. So Jesus indicates that in heaven, guess what? You will not have a wife, you will not have a husband. Will you know them? I think you will. But you will not know them as your husband or wife. And that may make you sad or that may make you glad. I don't know what kind of marriage you have. But the important thing is this. The emphasis isn't on that in heaven. The emphasis will be on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't think for one moment as you think about that, boy, you know, I'm just really going to be married. I'm missing my marriage in heaven. No, you won't. You will not miss it. Not at all. It's not going to last. Well, then also, the last thing here, he tells us our spiritual gifts are not going to last. Right in our text, right? Love never ends. And then he says what? As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So your stuff, your strength, your body your heart, your eyes, your marriage, and even your spiritual gifts will not last. It will not, they will not last. So what are we to do? Well, rather than just be completely negative today in remembering what, what does not endure, let's remember what does endure, right? We'll kind of turn the tide here a little bit and get a little more positive in our message what does endure? We're called to rejoice in what does endure. And Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but what? The word of God will endure forever. The word of God will endure forever. First Peter one twenty five, But the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, just so you understand, the word of the Lord is eternal, right? Because it's, it's God's word. If God is eternal, his word has to be eternal. It never ends. It never ceases. It never changes. It's eternal. That doesn't mean that the book you're holding in your hands right now, the physical book, is eternal. <laughs> I mean, I've talked to some people. It's like they think they're taking their little Schofield Bible with all the notes right to heaven with them. No, it's not going to happen, <laughs> you know. Um, we're not going to need it there. Praise the Lord. So the word of God will remain forever. And then also the Lord himself, Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you, who will not leave you or forsake you. We sing a song, a chorus, He will hold me fast. That's a timeless truth. In verse 8 of Deuteronomy 31, it says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be feared or dismayed. I mean, I would say as a Christian, that's a pretty good cause for not being dismayed or fearful. I run into a lot of Christians nowadays who are very fearful of the current climate in our government, the current climate in our country, the health situation with the covid they're fearful. We don't, we're not called to be fearful. We're called to be wise. You know, if you got COVID, I don't want to be around you. 
Not that I don't like you, but I'm not interested in catching a virus. But if you got a cold, I don't want to be around you. (laughs) Or you got the flu or whatever else. But it's good to know that if by chance you befall to something like that, God is with you. You know, it was so horrible to see so many people who got this virus, especially older people, especially in a place, New York City, with the rest homes and what went on there. That's criminal. So you have a a nursing home and one of them is diagnosed as having COVID. Yeah, this makes sense. Let's put them back in with the general population of everybody else in the nursing home. And let's see what happens. What do you think is going to happen? Thousands, thousands upon thousands of elderly people died. You wonder what the motivation was. And I, you constantly heard, it's so sad because these people die all by themselves. You can't be with your loved one. You've heard that, right? I mean, that would be hard. That would be difficult to understand that somebody is the, in the, taking their last breath and they don't even have someone, a loved one or a spouse or a child with them. But you know what? For those that knew the Lord, he was right there. He was right there through it all. We need to be reminded of that. Joshua 1.5 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, the Lord says there, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Or Psalm 9.7, But the Lord himself sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. It's forever. Psalm 102, verses 11 and 12. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass, but you, O Lord. A shadow is something that's fleeting, isn't it? When you see a shadow of a plane going over, right? What was that? You know, you look up, oh, there's a plane that interfered with the the sun's rays, and it cast this shadow, and it was just there for a second. That's what he's saying our days are like. But he says in verse 12, Psalm 102, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. So God himself will endure. But then also the glory of the Lord will endure. Psalm 104, verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works Or think about it, the name of the Lord will endure forever. Psalm 72, verse 17, may his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. That's speaking of the name of the Lord. Psalm 135, verse 13, your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. I mean, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. And, it, and it's true if you think about it. It's true. I don't think I've ever really talked to somebody who I've witnessed to, to some degree, and when I mention God, that word, they stop and they say, what, what would you just say? Well, God, what is that? I've never had someone do that. Well, you know, God the creator, who is that? 
even though, you know, many people I've talked to, they don't know the Lord personally, but they know about God. They know that there is a God, whether they believe it in their heart or not. That's what's, it's funny when you talk to someone who's, well, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. Who don't you? I always say, who don't you believe in? Well, I know what you're doing, <laughs> you know. You just want them to say, God, well, if you don't believe in him, then what's the big deal? But it's, it's important to understand that he endures forever. The glory of the Lord endures forever. The name of the Lord endures forever. The mercy of the Lord and I didn't put a verse down there because there's so many of them throughout Psalms. There's 34 times in the book of Psalms where it talks about the mercy of the Lord enduring forever. It's used 41 times in the text of Scripture. Or Psalm 52.1, it talks about the goodness, the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 52.1 says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. Or the righteousness of the Lord. Psalm 111, verse 3. Full of splendor and majesty in his work and in his righteousness, his righteousness endures forever. How can it endure forever? Because God is eternal. Psalm 112, verses 3 and 9. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Over and over again, it tells us that the righteousness of God endures forever. Not only his righteousness, but the truth of the Lord endures. Psalm 100, verse 5. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and his judgments he uttered. Has the idea that, you know what, this, this goes on forever. Psalm 117, 2, for, the, for great in his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. The judgments of the Lord endure forever. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Speaking of his judgments. They're not fleeting, they're not fainting, they don't fade away. Psalm 89, verse 33 says, The faithfulness of the Lord says, But I will not remove from him my steadfast love, nor be false to my faithfulness. God can't be false to anything that he represents, or he wouldn't be God. And something we've done a little bit this morning, the praise of the Lord will endure forever. Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, The Lord... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but all who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. I've heard some Christians, you know, they come to church and, you know, they just stand there. I don't like to sing. I don't want to sing. I don't want to praise. I don't want. You know, that's what you're going to be doing in heaven. All of eternity. If you're a believer in Lord Jesus Christ, when you're in heaven, guess what? You're, you're going to be singing. You're going to be shouting. You're going to be giving praise back to God forever. And then it says, the seed and throne of David, Psalm 89, verse 12. I will establish his offspring forever, it says. Verse 36, his offspring shall endure forever. Just think of what Israel has been through as a nation. And when someone says, yeah, well, how are you going to prove God to me? I'll say, nation of Israel, the people of Israel. What do you mean? And you tell them, 
Do you know how many times they were this close from being wiped out? But they endured, and they will continue to endure. And we haven't seen the worst of it yet. But then the compassion of the Lord will endure forever. Lamentations 3.22, we like this because it reminds us of that great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Is that true for you? Do you wake up in the morning with a full tank? With an understanding that, you know what, today is a new day. Today is is a day that God has granted me. I'm breathing, which is a good sign. I can move, which is another good sign. And his mercies are new every morning. Or do you wake up, oh, yesterday was so hard. This last week was just, and, and, you know, oh, woe is me. You know, I got this black cloud over my head, and you're dragging yourself through life. That's not the attitude of someone who is in Christ. It shouldn't be. Because it says, you know what? You're, in, you're encapsulated in his steadfast love. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning, and then it says, great is your faithfulness. This is a God who makes promises, and guess what? He keeps them. He keeps them. There's something to be said about someone who does that, isn't there? Someone who declares certain things, I will do this, I will do that, and then they actually do it. In certain professions, when that happens, we go, whoa, that's interesting, And then the kingdom and the dominion of the Lord. Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The kingdom and the dominion of the Lord. Now, there's one last verse. And you're probably thinking, okay, this is way too much. No, it's not. We need to be reminded of this. We need to know and remember what does not endure. And then we need to rejoice in what does endure. So if you turn over to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, I'm trying to overwhelm you with one simple fact that God's love will never fail because of who God is and what he does. We need the love of God in our lives, do we not? It's produced by the Spirit of God. But guess what? On a daily basis as believers, we fight against it continually. Because why? We want to do what we want to do. We don't want to yield to the Spirit's directing in our life. We have this wonderful love of God that will never fail, and sometimes we find our minds are closed to it. We don't want anything to do with it because of our own selfishness, of our own stubborn ways. We want to do what we want to do, and God, just bow out of the situation here. God wants to take that kind of attitude away from us He's telling us, you know what, stop fighting against the Holy Spirit in your life. The Bible says that we should be filled with, not wine, not a foreign substance into our body. That's wrong. But we should be filled or controlled, is the idea, by the Holy Spirit of God. We want him to direct our paths. We want him to direct our desires. And the truth of the matter is, you and I need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit that we might know the love 
of God that never will not at any time or any circumstance fail. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's what we need to understand. But in Luke chapter 12, it tells us here that even the treasures in heaven will not fail. It says, sell sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, you need a reality check. <laughs> All this stuff you're, you're piling up here on this earth, guess what? It's, it's going to be gone. It's not going with you. And even if you leave it to somebody else, eventually it's going to be nothing. It's going to be gone. And what he's saying is what better to build up treasure in heaven that does not fail. How do we do that? By investing in God's kingdom. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about times of service. I'm talking about using your gifts and your abilities and your talents to serve the Lord. Not just this world. That's what we're called to do. Why? Because love never fails. God, God's love always accomplishes what God wants it to. And love always, it always allows us to have treasures in heaven. Well, let's come back to 2 Corinthians 13. Got a couple more minutes here, so we'll just kind of trudge along here in the text. Remember, we're looking at the reasons why God is exalted, right? And the first reason was because God, God's love is exalted because it endures. Well, we also want to understand because it exists when gifts are no more. Not just because it endures, but guess what? The love of God is going to be around when even our gifts aren't. You mean our gifts aren't eternal? No, they're not. Look at what it says in verse 8. Love, it, love never ends. As for prophecies, see that word? That's a spiritual gift. Well, it's actually the result of a spiritual gift. Because it's, it's a noun, it's plural. I need you to file that away in your mind. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues or languages, plural, it's not singular, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Well, love is exalted not just because it endures, but because it exists even when our gifts don't. <laughs> our gifts are temporary. Love is eternal. So three things kind of point out here quickly. First of all, in verse 8, we see the inability of gifts to last forever. The inability of gifts to last forever. Now, gifts, spiritual gifts are wonderful, are they not? I mean, it's interesting that he chose these three, by the way. 
He could have chose a lot of different gifts, right? But he chose these three. Now, I asked you there, notice it said, as for prophecies, what is that? That's the result of someone who has the gift of prophecy. Someone who has the gift of prophecy, they prophesy, they give revelation, and that's considered a prophecy. And notice it's plural. It's a noun. It's not talking about the gift of prophecy here, but it's talking about the result of prophesying. That's what the grammar indicates. It's prophecies. The result of preaching is revelation that is given. Obviously, when... when now, before the Bible was completed, the people who had the gift of prophesying, they were prophets, sometimes they would give truth that was never revealed before. New revelation from God. And when they did that, if it was revelation that was from God, that's what we have in our text of Scripture today. But we have to understand that today, because we have the completed canon of Scripture, are people still endued with this gift of prophet to the extent of new revelation? I would say no. As someone who has a gift of prophet, I, what do I do? I stand up and I utter the words of God. You're telling forth the word of God. I don't come here Sunday mornings and saying, I have a new word. God told me this morning while I was shaving that, um, and then go on. And let's add that to the back of your Bible. You can write it down there. First Stephanus 1, 1. And I'll give you a verse because I am a prophet. No, we don't do that. As a matter of fact, the Bible clearly indicates you shouldn't do that at the end of the book, right? The last book in, in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. Do not add to this book, don't take away, or you're going to be in a world of hurt. And so there's an inability of these, ga- these gifts and the results of these gifts to last forever. So according to this text, what's it say? It says, as far as prophecy is concerned, as for prophecies, they will pass away. Now, if you look down there a little further, you're going to see that same phrase, pass away again. Do you see it? Now, remember, there's three, three different gifts here he's talking about. He's talking about what? Prophecy. He's talking about tongues or languages, the ability that God gave certain individuals in the New Testament to speak in a language they did not know or learn to a group of people that needed to hear the word of God. That's how the gift of languages or tongues was always used in Scripture. And we'll be getting into that more. But for right now, we have the gift of prophecy, you have the gift of tongues, and you also have the gift of knowledge. Well, it says prophecies are going to pass away. And then it says tongues will, te- will cease. Language- languages will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. So you have a commonality between prophecies and knowledge. They both will pass away. It's the same Greek word. If you look it up in the Greek, it's the exact same word. It's a very common word, kardigeto. Here it's in the future tense. It's something that will happen. 
But basically what this word means is it means to be rendered inoperative. It has the idea that they will phase out over time. They will become more and more ineffective. So when you are practicing your gift as a, a prophet, if you're into the getting this revelation from God before the canon was complete, what this is telling us, eventually that's not going to be needed anymore because the canon will be complete. And we don't need somebody standing up and popping off saying, oh, I have a new word from the Lord. Let's add this to our Bibles as well. And that's the real danger in the word of faith movement today, unfortunately, that we have so many teachers, so many people who are caught up in the idea that they are some prophet and they're declaring new revelation from God, whether it's through a dream, a vision, or whatever. And as a result, you have a lot of confusion going on in the church. Well, what, what Paul is saying here is prophecy and knowledge will pass away. It will pass away over time. Now, this is telling us that our gifts have the inability to last forever. In other words, they will not achieve their original purpose anymore after a period of time goes on. They're only here temporarily. Now, these are wonderful gifts, are they not? I mean, are you thankful for the gift of prophet and the gift of knowledge? I would hope you would be. But they're only here temporarily. I mean, when you think about it, those two words really have to do with the the foundation, the core of the church, do they not? I mean, why do we gather here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? We don't just gather here to have a party. We don't gather here to just sing some songs or show a movie. You know, we're not we're not gonna do any teaching today. We're just gonna we're gonna show a movie. We're gonna have, you know, Brother Bill come up here and paint us paint us a, a picture. And then we're all going to wonder what it is. That's not what we're called to do as a church. What are we called to do? We're called together around the word of God so that we can be taught the word of God, that it can be explained to us so that we can understand it, so that we can benefit from profit and knowledge. We want to learn God's truth. The Bible says without a vision, remember that verse? Without a vision, what? The people, the people perish. That word vision is the same word in the original Hebrew that we get the word revelation from. So they're saying basically, hey, you know what? If nobody's out there, it's not talking about some modern day vision. It's saying without the revelation of God, you don't have anything. I mean, without the Bible, without this book that he gifted us with, I would not know what I'm doing. Let me say this. With this book, most times I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) But it's a wonderful gift. It's very important that we understand That we have revelation from God. We have prophecies. We have knowledge in the Bible. That is incredible. 
And it, it grieves God's heart. It grieves our heart when we see people putting so much emphasis on knowledge that's outside the Bible. Because they know that's a means to the end. That can get them rich. That can get them a good job. That can get them this. That can get them that. When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell parents, you know what? I think every Christian parent should make their kid go to a Bible college for at least two years. What they want to do after that, that's their business. They need a foundation of truth before you throw them in a gutter of error. A cesspool of wisdom, worldly wisdom. And you wonder why these kids come back and they're so messed up from colleges that are purely secular in their worldview. Because these these kids haven't been equipped to handle it. Do you know how hard it is as a young person to sit in a classroom when everyone else is nodding yes to the professor that's denouncing God's creation and saying that we evolved from monkeys? How hard it is for that young person to say, wait a minute, I disagree, and stand up and make a case? They'll probably end up flunking the course. They're paying money for the course. I mean, I get the logical... As a matter of fact, a lot of Christians say, yeah, I just didn't give them the answers they want and move on. Why? Because this is a means to a degree. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. I mean, sometimes you've got to play, right? But at the same time, I think that we need to keep things in the proper perspective. The Bible gives us knowledge that we cannot even comprehend. We can't even believe. And whatever we learn in the secular world, as far as knowledge, guess what? That's all going to go. It's all going to fade away. It's all going to vanish. It will become ineffective. It will become inoperative. Love will endure. We need our eyes open to this truth. Now, I'm not saying you don't pursue an education in a secular university. If God is calling you to be a doctor and you want to go to a wonderful medical school, that's fine. But as a believer, you better be ready spiritually when you enter into that world of academics, because they will eat you alive and spit you out. And you'll come home going, God, I don't believe in God. That's what happens all the time. We need to ask ourselves, what does God want us to know? We look to the word of God. We look to his prophecies. We look to his knowledge. And it helps us understand how precious we are to him. It tells us what he wants us to do. It tells us right from wrong, does it not? But one day, even that, guess what? We'll be in opera. We won't need it anymore in the glorified state. Probably never thought about this, but we won't be using our Bibles in heaven. The word of God will eternally exist, but we will not be. Well, you know, John MacArthur here in the notes, uh, Jesus said this. Well, what do you have? <laughs> We're not going to be doing that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. But you know what? Love will never end. Love will never stop. God's love. God's love will never leave you. God's love never forsakes you. God's love never fails to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish in your life, ever. So both prophecies and knowledge are dealing with revelation. They're dealing with God's word being revealed. 
And it says that there'll be a day when it's not needed anymore. Well, you skipped over tongues, Pastor. I mean, that's the whole reason I came here this morning, because you were going to talk about tongues. I want to know what the words... Well, I'll read it, and then we'll get into it next week. So if you want to know what it says, as for tongues, they will cease. They're not going to fade away over time. That word in the original cease means, boom, they're gone. Just gone. And we're going to look at what that means next week. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have gifted us with a personal copy of your holy, inerrant word, the word of God. And, Lord, we, that we can read it and we can apply it and we can live by it and we can be blessed by it. And, Father, we ask that this morning that if there's any here who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, in Christ alone, your word says that it's only through Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. We can't come to the Father but through him. We can't experience salvation. We can't experience the forgiveness of sin that you have offered to us through the work of Christ. We can't experience it without taking that step of faith. And trusting your son and his work on Calvary was sufficient to pay the debt of my sin. If you're here this morning and you've yet to cry out to the Lord, you've yet to ask him to forgive you. That you know what, I've been living my life according to my plan, according to my agenda, and I need a change. I never realized how much God loved me. Infinitely. I think I should be willing to take a step of commitment in his direction. Stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting your abilities. Stop trusting your wisdom or your education or your stuff and turn to the Savior. And just say, Lord, I'm done. I need you to come into my life. I need you to save me. I need you to change me. I need you to give me the desires that you desire me to have because I'm tired of living this life burdened down with sin day in and day out. He'll, he'll do that. He'll change you. He'll, he'll forgive you. He'll transform your heart. The Bible says he'll give you a new heart with new desires. And then he'll never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. What a wonderful truth that is. Father, for us believers, I just pray that we would just continually comprehend this, that this world is not our home. We're passing through. And only really what we do for you will last. And so I pray that we would be able to look at our own lives and reorder our, our priorities as such. And Father, we thank you and we praise you and we ask you to just bless our time of fellowship and the food also to our bodies across the way. In Jesus' precious name, amen.